many, many of you here today and uh, many of those who are listening have given yourselves to a greater measure of prayer. Given yourself to a greater measure of prayer. And the Lord is doing some amazing works in you. Some weeks ago, we, we challenged you. We presented it. We don't by any means command or give strong directive to people to do this, but, but invited a number of people to take part in these first three full weeks of January for a time of prayer and fasting. And a number have shared with me in recent days, even a couple this morning, uh, some of the remarkable things that the Lord has already done as you have drawn closer to the Lord through fasting and prayer. Now, maybe you're here visiting today or this is your first time in a little while and you're wondering, what does it mean to be in fasting and prayer? Fasting means to to take something that is extremely important or even essential and for a time pushing that aside to give ourselves to a greater devotion to prayer, to spending more time with God in prayer. Fasting and prayer, if you don't pray and you just fast, it's really just going without food. It's deprivation. But fasting means to say, take something, something good, something often essential, and, and saying, this is really important to me. This is something even that I need, but for a time, for a time, I'm going to push this aside And in the time that I would usually do in preparing this or doing this or engaging in this, I'm going to spend additional time seeking God in prayer. And when you do that, a a number of amazing things happen. And many of you have have begun this journey. Some of you have even used the words um, an adventure. I want to just give just a moment of instruction regarding this. You, You, some of you who are fasting perhaps food or your or you're putting aside, uh, some of you uh, I know have been pushing aside some forms of media or, or, or time uh, doing other things, and you've pushed that aside. You're, you're finding it is, it is sometimes physically or relationally difficult to do that. And you're finding that, that it's, it's a little bit or even a lot of bit an interruption in your schedule, and, and it's, it's physically or emotionally challenging. But I also want you to know that you are going to, if you are involved in this, and you can start at any time, but as you are doing this, you are also going to be spiritually challenged. It is a spiritual exercise. It is a spiritual discipline that believers throughout time have, have uh, throughout the, the history of, of Christianity and before, have taken part in, but there is a spiritual element. When we push something aside and spend greater time with God, there is a spiritual battle that is engaged, and glory to God, we win. And so I encourage you, understand that there is not just a physical or a time element that is a part of fasting and prayer, but there is a spiritual element, and God does amazing things as people give themselves to fasting and prayer. I'm going to go so far even to say that there are things that God does not do unless we fast and pray. Unless we say, I am so serious about this, I'm going to push this aside 
to spend greater time seeking God and trusting him in a way like I've never trusted him before. And I really believe that uh, God has some amazing things ahead as, as we do this. I, if you were here last week, I shared briefly that about six months ago, and I've been pastor here for almost 24 years, and I've never done this, but I really felt clearly directed by the Holy Spirit to call the people of AFA into a time where, where we do this, and I'm trusting God for greater things. I'm, I'm, I'm really trusting Him for greater things in your life, in our lives, as a body of believers, as individuals, than He's ever done before. I'm trusting Him. And some of you are already seeing some breakthroughs and some answers to prayer, and, and, and I believe that we, we've just begun to see what God is going to do. Well, we cannot, we cannot talk about God's people fasting and praying without talking about a man named Daniel. A man named Daniel. In fact, there's a book in your Bible that is named after him, and I would like you to turn there to the book of Daniel, chapter 1. Daniel, chapter 1. Now, as you're turning there, every person who has been greatly used of God has a backstory. Every person recorded in the Bible or throughout Christian history Every person who has been greatly used of God has an amazing backstory, something that set them up or something that brought them to that place where they were shaped by God and then used by God. And here is Daniel's backstory in brief. About six centuries before Jesus, a kingdom called Babylon was a I think what we would call an ancient superpower. It was a superpower of its day. If you don't know where Babylon is, you certainly probably know where Iraq is. And that's been in the news. It will continue to be in the news. In fact, some of you have been there. Babylon is in what we now call Iraq. And, and Babylon was this world superpower of its day. It had a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar had conquered the Jewish nation of Judah. They had, he had laid siege against its capital city of Jerusalem. And Judah, the southern Jewish kingdom, was defeated by the kingdom of Babylon. They had captured the Jewish king. It was, it was certainly one of the darkest days in Jewish history up to that point. The Jewish king was captured, and um, in addition to that, uh, they, they had forcibly taken back to Babylon many young people. Daniel chapter 1, you have it before you, Daniel chapter 1 verse 3 says, King Nebuchadnezzar gave the order to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, Youths, and this describes them, they were to be youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom. They were to be endowed with knowledge and understanding learning, or they were to be teachable. And they were to be competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Now that's just kind of a descriptive way to say that what, what the king ordered was in, in kind of a in kind of an evil way, and yet very effective way, the king said, 
uh, to a conquered nation, they would gather some of the very promising young people of that nation. And they would take them back to Babylon, and over the course of time, and through a lot of training, they would indoctrinate these young people with the hopes that at some point they will take them and put them back into a place of influence, maybe over their people. Kind of a, a puppet leader, if you will. This, this, was, this was how they operated, and it was quite effective. It, 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 was, it, was, it was, again, in a very evil, diabolical way, but, but it was effective in this. Uh, now, we just have this text in front of us, how these, these young people were taken, out of, were taken out of their country and taken back to Babylon. But what's not recorded here is how difficult that must have been for these young people. Think about that for a moment. Here are these young people, uh, 16, 17, 18 years old. Imagine that yourself, or imagine that for one of your children or your grandchildren. They are forcibly taken away from their family. Their, 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 their nation is in ruins. They're taken from their family. They are forced into a new culture. They are forced to learn a new language, and they are forced to assimilate into the new culture. It's not recorded here the human element of pain, the, the, the difficulty that these people must have endured. How difficult it must have been to be wrenched from your family, taken hundreds of miles to the east, never, uh, probably realizing that you'll never see your homeland again. If you, have, if you have ever been in a place like that, you can understand just a little bit of, of, of how they felt. If you've ever been in a, in a new culture, a new language, uh, new experiences, and, uh, and away from family, it, you, you, you can understand a little bit of how these people felt. Verse 5 says this, The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Again, this was the, the, the plan here was not that, that the king was being benevolent and that he was being the nice guy and giving them nice food, but it was rather this was a constant and this was a persistent, but also very, uh, usually very effective indoctrination. For three years, they were to go through this. Verses 6 and 7, there are four names that are recorded, one of which was Daniel. There are three others mentioned. I'll mention them briefly and then refer to them in a little bit, but their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and that was their, uh, that was their Babylonian names. But these four young men, and, and the leader among them was apparently this man named Daniel. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But here's Daniel. And verse 8 tells us that Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Now, we don't exactly understand why he did this, but, but uh, it may have been because the food that was being offered to them had been offered to idols, and this would have been abhorrent to a good Jewish person to, to eat something that had been offered to idols, or more possibly or probably uh, they, they were foods that were on a list of foods that were prohibited for Jewish people. And so, so you have here this, this dilemma, you have this problem uh, of, of th they are being forced to eat this food, which I'm sure was very good food in the sense it was better than what the slaves were getting. 
It, it was better than probably some of the food that, that even the people of Babylon were given. This is the same food that the king was being served. But there was this problem. In verse 12, Daniel spoke to the guard who was to carry out this, this food allotment. He said, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And because God had given favor to Daniel, the guard agreed. And verse 15 records how at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So they do this for 10 days, they, they, they eat different food, they, they eat a different diet than whatever, what, what the other persons were eating, and at the end of that 10-day period of time, they look healthier. One translation, a couple translations say they look fatter, which simply means healthier, they, which that's biblical, and some of you are going, hallelujah, I'm healthy. Um, uh, it, it, says, it says they were healthier, they were healthier at the end of that 10 days than, than the others were. God had given favor. Now, I, I want to be very clear here. We're talking about fasting and prayer, and what appears to be here is a kind of a fast, but there's no mention of prayer. There's nothing here about Daniel praying. But from a statement of Daniel that we're, about Daniel that we're going to read in a moment, I'm confident that he did pray. What I want you to understand with this reference that we just looked at, that this is recorded to show us that while an earthly king was preparing Daniel for a place of influence, God was preparing Daniel for even greater things. Let me say that again. While an earthly king was preparing Daniel and others for a place of influence, God was preparing them for even greater things. Some of you, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, some of you, this is the first time that you've ever pushed something aside to spend more time with God. This is the first time that you've ever been perhaps challenged to say, uh, uh, press in closer with God and trust Him for things that you've never trusted Him before. And I want to tell you that the answers to, to many of the prayers that you are, are asking, the things that you're bringing to God, are not simply going to be limited to this three-week period of time, but rather I believe that God is preparing you and shaping you for something that is far beyond a three-week brief period of time. But I believe that God is preparing some of you for things that are going to happen in months and even years to come. That God has a greater plan than simply a three-week period of time. God is shaping you and preparing you and toughening you and, and putting some things into your hearts that, that, that 10 and 15 years from now, if God still gives us life and if he has not yet returned, we will look back and say it began right there in that time. And this is what's happening here. Here's this young man, 17, 18, maybe 16 years old, and he is, he is experiencing these things for the first time. New challenges, new opportunities, and he's trusting God, and, he's, and God is birthing some things in him. And so a lot of years go by, many years in fact, and by, by by chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. By chapter 6 of Daniel, Daniel is now a much older man. Daniel has at this point served under several kings and kingdoms. He's seen a lot of life, but he's never stopped praying. 
the, the God that he knew and trusted, that, ha, that he has known and trusted for a long time, was now at this point closer to him than ever before. It's been my privilege to pastor people of all ages. I'm very grateful for that. I'm grateful that we have a multi-generational church. I'm grateful that it's not just one age group. But I've found something. I have found while at times people who are younger can declare faith in Christ and then walk away from him, I have found an interesting thing, and that is people who have served Jesus for 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 years I have never known a person who has been serving Christ with a passion for that long to ever walk away from him. Why is that? Well, we used to sing a song that goes like this, because the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. The, the, the more I trust him, the more I learn to trust him more. That, that, my love, that, that as, I, as I walk with him and he walks with me through this life, that, that he becomes far more precious to me than, than he was even at the beginning of the journey. And here's Daniel. He's, he's actually an older person now, but he's been trusting God for a long time. He's been praying for a long time, and he's closer to his heavenly Father than ever before. There's another thing that had happened during this time. Daniel's influence had grown. By chapter 6, by Daniel chapter 6, he was among the top three administrators in the entire kingdom. He was so valued, in fact, this is now a couple of kings later. He is so valued, so deeply appreciated that, that the king recognizes not only his administrative ability, but he recognizes that this is a man who can be trusted. The Bible says here in chapter 6 that while he's one of three administrators, he is about to become the top of those three administrators. He is about to become the most important, influential man in the kingdom other than the king himself. God's favor was on him. The other leaders heard about this, they found out about this, and the Bible says they became envious of his power. Let me just pause for a moment. One of the most underrated yet destructive sins that I have seen in people's lives are the sins of envy and jealousy. They're often underrated. We think it's no big deal. Yet I have seen more destruction in people, in relationships, in families at times, and even in churches when people became, become envious or jealous of someone else. It's a powerful thing. The first murder, we looked at this on Wednesday, the first murder recorded in Scripture was why? Because one brother was jealous or envious over what his brother received. Never underestimate that. Guard against it. These other people become envious. They become jealous of him. And they conspire against him. They conspire to take him down. But because he has such high character, they couldn't charge Daniel with corruption. They couldn't find any dirt on him. They knew that this man, he spoke the truth. He did the truth. Everything that he did was above board. So they couldn't find anything against him. And this is how it should be. His relationship with God had changed his character you see 
His, let me say it again, his relationship with God had changed his character. And isn't that, shouldn't that be said of us? That because that person loves Jesus Christ, because they serve Jesus Christ, because they trust him, they, they operate differently. Let me tell you, if you're, if you're a person who's involved in any kind of business, you should, you should operate it more honestly and more above board because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. We should be, when, when we speak our, when we say that we will do something, we, we should be trusted because we're a follower of Jesus Christ. We should have a better reputation because we're a follower of Jesus Christ. Character with a relationship with God changes our character. So together with the king, these other leaders who were envious and jealous of, of Daniel, they fabricated a law that said for 30 days, anyone praying to anyone other than the king was to be thrown into a den of hungry lions. Now, uh, to, so maybe you know the story. To most people, if they were threatened with either praying or be thrown into a, a den of hungry lions, to most people, that would be a very powerful deterrent to prayer, wouldn't it? I mean, you would just say, hey, listen, for the next 30 days, all I have to do or not do is pray. I won't pray to the king. I won't pray to Jehovah God. I just won't pray, and I'll avoid the lion's den. I mean, to most people, you know, if you were faced with, all right, you have this, you have this um, ultimatum, you either, you either uh, don't pray for the next month or we put you to death, you would say, hey, you know, for a, for a month, I'll just not pray. Or at least I won't do it publicly. I, I, or I won't let anyone know that I'm doing it. I'll just do it very quietly and silently. But not Daniel. Some of his closest friends, some of Daniel's closest friends, had been in a similar situation years before. Years before, his, his friends, remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You know perhaps their story. Years before, they had been ordered to bow before a pagan statue or themselves risk death. And God had delivered them. You can read it later. It's the story of the fiery furnace. It was remarkably similar to this. Bow down to the idol or die. But to Daniel now it's don't pray to anyone other than the king. But if you choose not to, you pray to Jehovah God, you will die. But God had delivered his friends years before and he was trusting him. Now it was his turn. Now it was Daniel's turn to trust God. Now it was Daniel's turn to trust God or to surrender to the pressures around him. Let me say that again. Now it was his turn to trust God or surrender to the pressures around him. Now it was his turn. Now let me rephrase, just add a couple words in. Now it is our turn to trust God or to give in to the pressures around us. You see, Daniel's long gone, right? He died eventually. I don't know exactly how he died, but he died, and, and, and he's long since buried. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they trusted God. They didn't die in the fiery furnace. They died as old men. Um, not exactly sure how. Someday, perhaps, we'll find out. It was their turn at one time, but now it's our turn. 
Now we are the ones who are living today. We are the ones who will trust God or we will give in to the pressures around us. We will look to God and we will honor God and we will trust in Him or we will succumb to the pressures of the world around us. Now it's your turn. It's my turn. What are we doing with our turn? Most of us here this morning will probably never face that kind of ultimatum. Refuse to pray or die. But there will be countless opportunities to choose prayer or something else. We will probably never face in our lifetime, uh, possibly but, but probably not, we will probably not face the ultimatum of refuse to pray or die. But there will be countless opportunities that are before us to choose prayer or something else. That's what we're going to be faced with. Do I choose to spend time with God and seek Him or do I involve myself with the entertainment, however good that might be? Will I, will I choose to spend time with him or will I give myself completely to my to-do list? Will, 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 I, will I choose to spend time with him or will I do my own thing? There will be countless opportunities. Look at Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Key verse in Scripture. It says, Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. So in obeying God, he defied the law. Let me say that again. In, in obeying God, he defied the law. I am never, I, I will never up, stand up here and say we should just flagrantly uh, disobey law. But, but there, there, there are times when it comes down to in obeying God, we must defy the law. And in those occasions, as difficult as they might be, we must honor God. In obeying God, Daniel defied the law. And, and it records here, with windows open and with knees bent and with words spoken multiple times a day, Daniel prayed and he kept praying. He kept praying multiple times a day. Windows open. He's facing west because he's to the east of Jerusalem. So he opens his window and he's facing west towards, towards Jerusalem. He, his windows, he's not hiding anything. People can see him or at least hear him. He gets down on his knees where people can see perhaps that he is in a position of prayer. Not that you can only pray on your knees. I want to be very clear on that. But it was obvious to, that that was the case. And with words that were spoken multiple, not, not one, once, not occasionally, not surreptitiously, but multiple times a day, Daniel prayed, and he kept praying. And then there's that line, just as he had done before. You see that there? Right, right at the end of the verse. Just as he had done before. You see, that, 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 that looks back. He'd been doing this for a long time. It, it was probably something that he had done years before when he was a boy back in Judah. Maybe his father or mother or a teacher taught him the importance of, of spending time with God and praying. 
Maybe all the way back to his childhood he'd been doing this. It was something that, quote, he had done years before as a young man in a strange culture when he's, he's, he's taken, forcibly taken from his, his culture and he's, he's transplanted into a new culture. Just as he had done before, he sought God. It was something that he had done when he was a nobody, when he was not a person of influence, when he was just a displaced person. It was something that he had done when no one knew his name. Well, now almost everyone in the kingdom knew his name. But he simply continued to do what he had done before. It's a key. If you underline in your Bibles, underline verse 10, and particularly that last line. He'd been doing it for a long time. And he wasn't going to stop praying now. In this most perilous of times... Daniel continued to give thanks to his God just as he had done in this this most treacherous, difficult, pressure-filled time. Daniel continued to give thanks to his God just as he had done before. Listen to me. You will run to God in perilous times only if you first met with him in quiet times. We, we, think, we think that, oh man, boy, if I were, if, if, if somebody held a gun to my head, I'd still trust God. Well, I, I hope that's, I, I pray that's the case. That if, if, if under the, the, the penalty of death that we would do that. And, and yet, if, if it, we run to God in the perilous times if we first met with him in the very quiet times. When no one's watching, when no one is aware. See, every great man or woman of God, they did not just appear, they were formed in anonymity. They were shaped in obscurity. They, they, were, they were prepared as a nobody before they became somebody that everyone knew. Your objective is not to become a somebody. I doubt that that's your objective. But God forms people in quiet, out-of-the-way places. And we run to God in the perilous times if we first met with Him in the quiet times. <laughs> Some of you are in a perilous time. Right now. And, and who you run to is very revealing in perilous times. If the first person that you run to is mom or dad, that, that, that can be very telling. If the first person that you run to in a perilous time is your life coach, that, that can be very telling. The first, first person you run to is a, is a counselor. These are not bad things, but if that's the first person you run to, it's very telling. Sometimes people in perilous times run to something to deaden the, the pain, to, to artificially hold off in their minds at least the, the peril of that time. Who do we run to? 
Now, Daniel was delivered from the lion's den. That's the rest of the story, and I just gave it away. If you didn't know the story, I just gave it away. He was delivered from the lion's den. You can read it later, and that's stuff for another message. But he was delivered from the lion's den. But the ones who conspired against him perished in the lion's den. And yet Daniel continued to pray. He didn't stop. Okay, job's done, made it through, survived, mission accomplished, stopped praying. No, he continued to pray. In chapter 9, Daniel read in Jeremiah, again, time goes by. In chapter 9, Daniel read in Jeremiah about the devastation of Jerusalem, his, his home, his, the capital of his, of his home country, and it broke him. Daniel chapter 9, verse 3 records this. So I turned to the Lord God, and I pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Daniel was so broken by something that he read in what we call the book of Jeremiah. It was the, the prophet Jeremiah. Daniel was so broken by something that he read in Jeremiah that he once again pushed aside one of life's essentials and he sought God in prayer. He was so broken, he was so moved, he was so disturbed that he said, all right, for a time, for a period of time, I'm going to push aside food. He even, he even dressed in, it says here, sackcloth and ashes, which was an outward sign of grief. He pushed it all aside to spend time with God in prayer. So let me ask you, when bad news comes your way, as it invariably does, will you run to God in prayer? When the bad news comes to you, and if it hasn't, it will, will you run to God in prayer? Will you in that moment say, this is so hard, this is the hardest thing I've ever gone through? I received word last night of a missionary family who lost their 22-year-old son. He just died. They don't even understand why. My heart broke for them last night. And I just I found out just before I went to bed, and I said, oh God, may those people run to you in this most dreadful of bad news. May they run to you, may they find their strength in you, may they find their hope in you, may they find healing in you, may you comfort them in their grief. Bad news comes our way. It's going to happen if it hasn't already. But when it comes, may we run to him. May we even at times push other things aside and say, I'm so broken and I'm so hurting that I will spend time with God and I'll push all of that aside. Some of you, God's getting ready to do that. And, and now you're, you're saying, man, I've, I've never fasted and prayed before. He's, he's preparing you. He's preparing you for future moments. There's one more glimpse that I want to give you into Daniel's life. I'm giving you a lot of material this morning. It's almost not even fair to cover Daniel's life in one message, but one more glimpse into his life. It's in chapter 10, turn there, when God gave Daniel a vision about a coming war. God put on his heart a vision about a coming war and all the devastation that accompanies war. In response, verse 2 reads this way. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. For three weeks, for 21 days, Daniel again fasted certain foods. He refused, it says, certain comforts, and he prayed. 
when he receives this vision about this horrible war that is coming, he knows what he must do. He must battle in prayer. He's an even older man now, but he understands that as a follower of Jehovah God, my only recourse at times is to go to my knees and trust God like I've never trusted him before. Some of you, and, and I'm, I'm not saying these things to terrify you when I talk about bad news that may be ahead or war that may be ahead, but there's some challenges ahead for some of you. And, and right now you're fasting and you're praying, you don't even know what that war is going to be, it's, it's, that challenge is going to be, it's in the future. But God is doing some warfare right now in your prayers for th- something that's going to happen in two weeks, three weeks, or even months or years to come. He's birthing some things in you right now. He's preparing some things in you right now. For three weeks, again, he pushed all of this aside and he prayed. He understood the power of prayer. Daniel understood the power of prayer. More importantly, he understood the power of the one to whom he prayed. And that's more important. There's a lot of people that pray. There's a lot of people. There are even false religions, pagan religions that, that they, they talk about prayer. But I'll tell you what, it's not so much the power of prayer, it's the power of the one to whom we pray. His name is Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. He, he sought God. And after those three weeks of fasting and prayer, a messenger from God was sent to Daniel with these words. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. I want you to see that. He prayed for three weeks, and he didn't see a breakthrough. But then after he had completed that period of time, after he'd gone through all of that, after he had sought God, this messenger from God came and said to him, Since the very first day, your words were heard. The very first day, your words were heard. There are some of you that have resolved and you've committed yourself and you're finding it is difficult. You're maybe one week in or maybe you're going to start it today or tomorrow and and you, you get part way and you realize this is much harder than I ever thought. And, and, and then the questions begin to come, will, 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 will this prayer be answered, this, this thing that God has put on my heart to pray for, is it ever going to happen? And I want you to know from the very first time that you began praying, God heard your prayer. And there is, a, there is a battle that is taking place, and God is doing it, and he's working miracles, and he's hearing your prayer, and we're going to trust God for, for an answer to those prayers. It may take some time. I want you to know he hears your prayers. What is it that God's calling you to? There's there's a phrase that we sometimes use that, quite frankly, and in fact, it's one that I've used, but it bothers me. And and I have since been very careful in how I use this term. It's the phrase or the term prayer warrior. We use that often in regards to certain people, and it's appropriate. But in assigning that to certain people, we think that it is some kind of an elite club. 
that it is just for a select few that to be a prayer warrior is to be a super Christian, that, that, that God only anoints certain people to be prayer warriors. And the implication there is that I'm not. And I want to challenge you today that there's not a person here today who is a follower of Jesus Christ who cannot be a prayer warrior. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've surrendered your life to Him, if He's forgiven your sins and you know that, man, I'm not going to hell, I'm going to heaven, then God has given you the ability to be a man or a woman of prayer. And every person here, God desires to use as a prayer warrior. It's not for just a select few. It's not for that, that older man, that older woman who just seeks God. All, oh, they're a prayer warrior, but you can be a prayer warrior. I say, God, do it again. I mentioned earlier, Daniel's dead. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all dead. Now it's our turn. Will we be the people in this generation to push certain things aside and to trust God like never before for miracles? We sang about miracles this morning. But I don't want to just sing about miracles. I want to pray for miracles. And I want to see miracles. I don't want to just, I don't want to just look back on these, these texts like the book of Daniel and a number of different places and say, oh, wow, that's great how God moved then. I want to say, God, move now in us. And he will do it as we pray. Perhaps, perhaps you've not taken part in this. And if you, we, 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 we have not taken a list, we've not had a sign-up sheet. If you're fasting and praying, I don't need to know that. What you're fasting, I don't need to know that. What I'm fasting, you don't need to know that. What I'm praying for, you don't need to know that. But if, you're, if, if you have not, I, I invite you to say, Lord, still near the beginning of this year, I want to take whatever it is you want me to push aside to spend more time to you, with you, then, then Lord, I'm willing to do it. We're going to have a prayer meeting tonight. Pastor Brad mentioned we had, we had a prayer meeting on, on Wednesday here. Uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to meet again even next Sunday night. We're just going to pray. And tonight, by the way, if you come tonight, it's, we're not, it's not going to be heavily organized. We're going to have about 10 or 15 minutes of praise. And then we're just going to encourage you just to, to on your own pray for about 45 minutes. And then at the end of that, we're going to come together. It's not going to be heavily organized because I want the Holy Spirit to lead you to put things on your heart that you're going to bring. But, but let's not limit it. Let's not limit it from 6 to 7 o'clock on a Wednesday night or, or uh, on a Sunday night or from 11 o'clock in the morning till 1 o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday. Let's not limit it to those times. Let's not limit it. Let, let's say, God, in, in the morning, around noon or, or in the evening, whenever it might be, that I push that aside to spend more time with you and trust you for things that I've never trusted you before. 
strongholds to be broken that have been around for a long time. Chains that have bound other people that you've placed on my heart that I believe in the coming days it's going to be broken. Breakthroughs that are going to happen because you prayed that would not have happened had you not prayed. So God is calling you. God is calling you. God is calling you to be a prayer warrior. I'd like you to stand, please. As always, these altars are going to be open. And we will never, we will never, I promise you, I will never say, get, get away from these altars. I will never do that. <laughs> get up off your knees. We'll never do that. These altars are going to be open, but I want you to understand that, that w w what's going to happen, the important thing in prayer that's going to happen is not going to happen just around these altars or here tonight. It's going to happen outside those doors when you meet with God. So we're going to close in prayer, but then I want you to go willing to be used of God in prayer like you've never been used before. We, we've, got, we've, got, we've got a lot of issues. We've got a lot of issues in our community. We have a lot of issues in our, in our state, in our nation. There are things around the world. I'll tell you, there's never a lack of things to pray for. But there's a tremendous lack of people who are willing to pray. We're willing to say, I'm going to engage in the battle. And I'm not going to just learn about the news. I'm going to pray about the news. I'm not just going to hear about that and my heart broken. I'm going to take that brokenness. I'm going to take it to him. I'm going to be that man, that woman. as we close. Lord Jesus, thank you that you saved us. Thank you that you set us free. Now I pray for every person here today. I ask your blessing upon them, your blessing in prayer. Lord, by your blessing, I don't mean that we'll, we'll just have an easier life. You didn't call us to an easy life. When I ask for your blessing on these people, Lord, I don't, I don't ask this. They'll simply have things in abundance. I, I, I'm asking your blessing upon them so that they will be the people that you desire them to be. That they will be the men and women of prayer that you can rely upon to intercede, not just uh, to intercede on behalf of others, not just pray for themselves. Lord, I pray that prayer would become more than just something we do at the very beginning of a meal or a few moments at the end of the day. That we will be people far beyond these three weeks to push other things aside and say, not now. I'm turning it off. I'm closing the door. I'm turning out the light. I'm shutting out the world because in these moments ahead I'm going to spend time with my Father in heaven and I'm going to see miracles as we pray. Your blessing, your blessing upon these people now as we leave this place and we enter a place of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. Go in the presence and in the power, power of the Lord Jesus Christ.